Hello and welcome to Aunt Mary from otrgold.com. This episode will begin after a brief message from our sponsors. Now for our story. In the house at Malibu Beach, Kit Mead had spent the morning with Mrs. Kingsley and Lisa Fenner's baby upstairs in the improvised nursery. Kit was anxious to learn how to care for the child and had watched Mrs. Kingsley attentively, although she was aware of the housekeeper's hostile scrutiny, aware that the woman had many questions on her mind, questions Kit didn't intend to answer. All the careful plans she had made during the past months were beginning to take shape now. The final goal was in sight. So it's a rather determined-looking Kit Mead this morning, sitting before her dressing table, arranging her hair. Mrs. Kingsley said the baby can travel in a few weeks. When Bill sees the baby, everything will be all right. He'll be so proud, happy. He'll forget all about Peggy Douglas when he sees his son. If only nothing goes wrong. Perhaps I'm a fool to think Lisa will agree. But if it can't be done legally, this is the only way. If she doesn't agree, and she might not, well, I'll go over now. I'll talk to Lisa. Then I'll know one way or the other. Kit Mead got up, quickly left the house, and walked up to Paul Cromwell's a few doors away. As she passed the garage, she noticed that the door was open and Paul's roadster was gone. She was rather glad since it probably meant that Paul wasn't at home. That made it easier. He hadn't approved of her seeing Lisa. She decided to go around the back way, let herself in quietly through the service entrance. But as she came in the kitchen door, Max, Paul's man, looked up from the paper he sat reading at the kitchen table. Oh, oh Mrs. Mead. Uh, Hello, Max. Did I startle you? Uh, well, I hardly expected... Oh, excuse me. I'll slip on my jacket. Oh, don't worry about that, Max. Uh, Mr. Cromwell was gone into Santa Monica. He left just a few minutes ago. Yes, I noticed his car was gone. It's too bad you missed him. Oh, it doesn't matter. How are things at the other house, Mrs. Mead? Oh, fine. Of course, Mrs. Kingsley has her hands full. Yes, I should think so. Oh, she doesn't seem to mind, though. Well, that's good. Have you seen her? Yes, I uh, saw her a few minutes uh, earlier today. She went on uh, at great length about the new baby. Says uh, she thinks it's a wonderful child. Oh, it is, Max. A beautiful baby. You're very fortunate, Mrs. Mead. Why do you say that, Max? Well, isn't there a saying, children are the keys to paradise? Yes. Yes, I believe there is. I think you understand quite well what's going on, Max. Occasionally, Mr. Cromwell and I have a little talk. Yes, I know. And then I can't help but make certain observations, draw conclusions. I find that I'm frequently correct. And in this case, I'm sure you are. Max, I hope you won't mind if I ask you a favor. What is it, Mrs. Mead? I'm always... I'd appreciate it if you'd not mention, well, anything you may have deduced in regard to Mrs. Fenner the baby and all that sort of thing, to Mrs. Kingsley. She's a good woman, of course, but she hasn't your... Uh, your sophistication, shall we say? Quite, Mrs. Me. I understand. Besides, it's not my habit to indulge in backstairs gossip. Oh, forgive me, Max. I only wanted to be sure. It is important that nothing be said regarding this adoption. But perhaps I'm being too optimistic in any case. I beg your pardon? Is Mrs. Fenner upstairs, Max? Why, uh, 
Yes, she is. Will you tell her I want to see her, please? But, uh... Yes, Mrs. Mead, of course. Uh, excuse me. Max, I was just about to ring. I wonder if I could have a cup of bouillon. I'm actually a little hungry today. Good. I'll bring some up directly. You're feeling much better. An appetite is a good sign. Uh, Mrs. Fenner, I, I came to tell you that Mrs. Mead is downstairs. Kit? She asked me to say that she wants to see you. Please tell Mrs. Mead I, I'm not feeling very well, Max. Then, um... You don't wish to see her? No, Max. I don't wish to see her. Very well. Well, Max? I'm sorry, Mrs. Mead. You mean I... Lisa refused to see me? She asked me to say that... Never mind, Max. I'm going up anyway. But, uh, Mrs. Mead... It's all right, Max. Don't worry. Come in. Kit. But I... Max gave me your message, Lisa. But you see, I came anyway. Please go away, Kit. Can't you understand that? I don't want to see you. I understand it well enough, Lisa. Surely you must know how I feel when I see you. How it reminds me all the more. I... Oh, please go away. We have nothing more to talk about. You're wrong, Lisa. We have a lot to talk about. Otherwise, I wouldn't insist on seeing you now. But what more can there be to say? I made up my mind... I've given you my baby. I told Paul to go ahead and make all the arrangements. That's just it, Lisa. No arrangements can be made. Not at present, anyway. The fact is, I can't adopt your baby. You... you can't? What do you mean, Kit? Just that. You see, there are a lot of technicalities. Unless we can think of a way around them. No. I couldn't bear going through all this again. The confusion and uncertainty... It was so hard to reach the decision. Trying to decide what is best for everybody, for the baby. And now to go through all it again... Now, don't get yourself all upset. Start jumping to conclusions. You did make your decision, and I'm sure it was the wise one. Best for everyone. For you and Paul and the baby. And as for me, Lisa, it's been my only consolation. If it hadn't been for the accident, I... I would have had my own child. But... Yes, kid, I know. That's why... So I... it seems very foolish to give up now after it's meant so much suffering for all of us. Don't you think so? Yes, I suppose so. Now, here's the situation. I've looked into this thing, and apparently I can't adopt your baby without Bill's consent. As you know, that would spoil everything. All my plans about the marriage. But more than that, you can't let me have the baby without the consent of your husband... Lance. Oh, no. Lance mustn't know anything about it. Not after the way he walked out and left me. Precisely. So you see, Lisa, we're at a stalemate. There just doesn't seem to be any way out. Uh, that is, there is one way. A much simpler way, too. But it's not quite... Well, it's much more informal. Yes, Kit? I could just take the child. Go back to Wakefield as I planned. Then later, a few months from now, when your divorce is final and you and Paul are on your way east, we could meet somewhere and take care of the legal side of it. 
Oh, I don't care, kid. I don't care how it's done. I just don't want any more trouble, any more pain. Of course you don't. But, Lisa, you must think about it. Be very sure. This thing is very important to me, to my marriage. I can't afford to take a chance on your having a change of heart later on. If I hadn't lost my own child, it would be different. But now, I wouldn't attempt to go back to Wakefield under any other circumstances. I know how you feel about the baby you lost, Kit. And if mine takes its place, it's the least I can do. I'm glad you realize how important it is. You see, otherwise I'd stay here. And in all probability, Paul and I would work out our own salvation together. It sounds cold-blooded, Lisa, but I want to be honest with you. I'm past caring how anything sounds. I just want this all to be over. Then if you feel that way, well and good. I only want to be sure you're not going to be overwhelmed suddenly with the significance of it. Look, Kit, what do I have to do to reassure you? You know my side of it. You know how much I've wanted the proper sort of home for my child, the sort of home I couldn't provide if I were alone. And well, Paul's mixed up in it, too. So take the child, Kit. Do whatever you like. Make the best arrangements you can. All right, Lisa. Then that's agreed. Is that all, Kit? Is there anything more to say? No. No, I think that covers everything. Then I wish you'd go, Kit. I can't talk about it anymore. Yes, Lisa, I'll go now. Oh, oh, Kit. Yes, Lisa? You... You will take good care of my baby. Won't you? Yes, I will. You can be sure of that. Kit Mead was very satisfied as she walked back to the other house. Now she felt secure. Everything had worked out as she'd wanted. There was nothing to worry about now. No obstacle threatened her plans. Now for our story. This morning at Malibu Beach, outside of Los Angeles, the white ocean fog had just begun to lift and the sun broke through. Kit's household had breakfasted early. Then Mrs. Kingsley addressed Lisa Fenner's baby son in a tiny white knitted jacket and cap, and herself in a neat gray cloth coat and a simple gray hat. When she carried the baby downstairs, she'd found Mrs. Mead waiting, dressed for the street, looking beautiful, self-possessed, and quite cheerful. A few minutes later, Paul Cromwell's black car had driven up. Mrs. Kingsley had followed Mrs. Mead out the door. It walked carefully down the stairs which led to the road, where the car stood waiting with the door open. Paul and Max, standing beside it, had stopped talking as the women approached. Now Max touched his cap in greeting as Paul called. Good morning. Mm, good morning, Paul. Good morning, Mr. Cromwell. Mrs. Kingsley. Well, shall we go? I think it's going to be a nice day after all. Oh, I hope so. Uh, hand the baby to me, please, Mrs. Kingsley. Oh? Why, I'll thought... take him. If you'll just sit in front with Max, please. Yes, Miss Lee. What time is it, Paul? Just 10.30. What time is the appointment with the pediatrician? Dr. Nichols, 11.15. We'll make it nicely. Well, Kit... You make quite a picture. 
Young mother and child. Rather touching. Is it, Paul? Definitely. You amaze me. I never thought... Be a pin sticking. No, no, he's just blowing up. Here you are, Ducky. <laughs> you see? Really? You're quite the little mother, kid. What on earth did you do? <laughs> well, I don't know what the professional name for it is, but the term in common usage is burping the baby. Well, really, kid. Oh, you needn't be shocked, Paul. All the doctors say that, and the nurses, too. Well, you seem to be a veritable fountain of information. I must say, Kit, the baby doesn't look much like Bill Mead. Oh, what a catty streak you have. You're as bad as a woman. But you can't needle me about that. I happen to know that babies look like the people you want them to look like. It's chiefly in the mind. Besides, he's dark. You might say he looks like me. You might. Kit... Now that we have an opportunity, what did you tell Lisa yesterday? Oh. So Lisa told you I'd been over. Certainly. But she refused to tell me what you said. I wanted to get over to see you last night, but I couldn't get away very gracefully. (laughs) So you couldn't get away very gracefully. That doesn't sound much like the man who used to take me out in New York. Touché. You have me there. But I do want to know. I couldn't get anything out of Lisa. What happened? Well, I explained the circumstances to Lisa. All the business about having to get Bill's consent and Lance's. That scared her. And she still feels pretty sensitive about his walking out on her. Especially at such a time, though Lance certainly didn't know about Lisa's condition then. Well, it's not surprising that she feels as she does. Just the same. No, of course it's not. That's why I wanted her to understand that it would be necessary for Lance to sign the papers. And what did you say? She was very upset. Said she wouldn't think of Lance's knowing anything about the baby. Well, that settles it then. Not necessarily. It doesn't change much, actually. You're forgetting that I don't want Bill to know about it either. Yes, that's true, of course. But in that case, I don't see what good it did to talk to Lisa, to upset her any more than she was. You're not very nimble-witted, are you, Paul? I had to talk to Lisa to persuade her or... Or rather to make us see that there's only one way out of this situation. And what's that? It looks to me as if you're completely cornered, no matter how you try to get out of it. No, Paul. I'm not cornered. I told Lisa that the best thing would be for her to let me keep the baby now. Take him back to Wakefield as I intended from the beginning. Then later, when Lisa's divorce is final, you and she go east as you plan to, we can all meet in some place and settle the legal side of it. But, Kit, that's the most harebrained scheme I've ever heard. What's wrong with it? Well, don't you see? It means that you have absolutely no protection. And neither has Lisa, for that matter. I'm aware of that. But that's the risk we have to take. Besides, I'm not really afraid of it, Paul. Don't forget, Lisa has a conscience. She realizes she was responsible for... for my accident that otherwise I would have had a child of my own. She feels it's her moral duty to let me have her child. You mean because of that night, the the argument you two had? Of course, Paul. Lisa knows that if she hadn't gotten me so upset that night, so 
unnerved. That's rather a cruel means of swaying Lisa's judgment. I can't help that. There's no choice. And Lisa sees the justice of it quite clearly herself. Uh, perhaps you're right. But there's always the possibility that she'll regret her decision, change her mind. No, Paul. Not so long as she's compensated for her sacrifice by having you. But good heavens, Kit. You know this thing can't be dragged out indefinitely. Sooner or later, when she knows about our plan, the future that we have in mind... But Lisa to... won't find out, Paul. She won't know about that until after the papers are signed. And then the baby will be legally mine. Once Lisa is divorced from Lance, we'll meet in another state. And after that, there'll be no problem. It all seems such a tragic, complicated mess. Frankly, I'd almost forgotten what the original purpose was. Have you, Paul? I haven't. Not for a minute. Oh, I, I shouldn't say that. I haven't really forgotten, Kit. It seems so far away, the future we've talked about, so many things in between. Don't worry, Paul. Everything will turn out all right, believe me. And you're not afraid that Lisa will change her mind? No, I'm not. I told you, Lisa understands she has an obligation to fulfill. Don't worry about Lisa. Well, maybe I should just worry about you. <laughs> oh, Paul. A little later, they arrived at their destination, the office of the pediatrician, Dr. Nichols, whom Dr. Gordon had recommended. Paul and Max waited below while Kit and Mrs. Kingsley went up to the doctor's office. The doctor had weighed and measured the baby boy, checked with Mrs. Kingsley in regard to his eating and sleeping habits. Yes, he's in fine shape. You can tell Mrs. Fenner she has nothing at all to worry about. Miss Fenner would be glad to hear that, I'm sure. Uh, yes, uh, what a shame Lisa couldn't have come in, but it's such a long drive in from the beach. Well, it's probably just as well for her to rest. Uh, is there anything else, Doctor? Anything we should do? No, I think not. I'd like to see the baby again in about two weeks. You can make an appointment with the nurse as you go out. Uh, perhaps you do that now, Mrs. Kingsley. I'll be out in a few minutes. Yes, Miss Mead. Goodbye, Doctor. Goodbye, Miss Kingsley. Doctor, I... We've been wondering, how soon would it be possible for the baby to travel? Travel? Uh, what sort of travel do you mean, Mrs. Mead? Would it be a long trip? Well, the town is not far out of Chicago. I see. Uh, does Mrs. Fenner plan to leave soon, then? As soon as possible, I understand. Hmm. Uh, does she plan to take a nurse with her? Uh, Mrs. Kingsley, perhaps? No, I think not. The accommodations would be the best possible, of course. I've heard they have trained people to help a mother in any emergency. Mm, yes, that's true. The baby's in excellent health, of course. Well, I should say it should be safe to take him on such a trip in another week. I wouldn't advise doing it any sooner. Another week. I see. Well, thank you very much, Doctor. If it isn't possible to keep the appointment, then we'll make a point of canceling it ahead of time. I know how busy you are these days. Well, thank you, Miss Mead. We appreciate that sort of consideration from our patient. Well, that's the least I could do, Doctor. You've no idea how helpful your information has been. Kit said goodbye to the doctor, walked into the reception room. 
Mrs. Kingsley noticed the look on her face as she entered. It was the same look she'd had in the car on the way back from the hospital when she'd taken the baby out of the housekeeper's arms. An expression of triumph. One more week, Kit was thinking. One more week and she could leave. Go back to Wakefield with the baby. Yes, Mrs. Mead looked forward to the moment when she could get off the train, put the baby into Bill's arms with the words, Here is your son, Bill. But Kit didn't know her husband's determination to get a divorce. Didn't know that he'd told David Bowman of his plan. And before that, her father, Ben Calvert.
Now for our story. It was evening. In Kit Mead's house at Malibu Beach, the living room was lit only by the flickering firelight and the tall candles which stood in silver candelabra on the polished table. Kit and Paul Cromwell had finished dinner, had brought their coffee into the living room. Now, as they sat on the low couch which faced the fireplace, Lisa Fenner's baby was asleep upstairs. Mrs. Kingsley, the housekeeper who was caring for the child, had taken dinner to Mrs. Fenner in her room. Kit had dressed for dinner very carefully this evening. She was wearing a deep green tunic of a heavy silk material with a gold-embroidered belt. Aware that she was looking her loveliest, Kit knew what Paul was going to say before he spoke. You're beautiful tonight, Kit. I've never seen you look more fascinating. Oh, I thank you, Paul. It's been wonderful dining with you again. The candles, firelight. It's like old times. Yes, it is. I'm so glad you could get away. Was it difficult? Or did you have to tell Lisa you were going to a lodge meeting or sitting up with a sick friend? No. No, I didn't lie to Lisa. I just didn't say anything. (laughs) Why is it that men feel so virtuous if they don't tell an out-and-out falsehood, if they simply withhold the truth? It amounts to the same thing. No, it doesn't at all. There's a great difference. Well, if there is, it's too subtle for the average woman to comprehend. In any case, Lisa wasn't feeling too well this evening. She took a sedative, hoped to go to sleep very early. You can imagine how wearing these last few weeks have been on her. She's been feeling quite wretched. Oh, you know how Lisa dramatizes. Perhaps she does. But in this case, Kit, she has some justification after all. She knows the baby is here with you, just a few doors away. Naturally, she can't help thinking about it. What does she say? It isn't so much what Lisa has said. She's been very good about it. But I'm sensitive enough to realize how she feels. Well, in any event, it'll all be over before long. Everything's working out beautifully, just as I hoped. And as long as you keep Lisa from being too miserable through this critical period, nothing at all can go wrong. I'm doing my best, Kit. But there's a limit to how much I could accomplish. Oh, nonsense, Paul. You're just being modest. I know how charming you can be. I've no worry at all about your keeping Lisa happy, if you really want to. It's not too difficult to be charming, as you put it, when one is involved emotionally. But but this thing with Lisa makes me rather uncomfortable. I feel such a... well, so dishonest about it. Well, don't. Just remember this part of it won't last forever. As soon as Lisa has a divorce, we'll simply meet somewhere when you're on your way east. We'll have the adoption papers properly drawn up and signed, and that'll be that. It's odd, Kit. Whenever we discuss these plans, you... You always seem to regard the whole thing as concluded with the adoption. You always disregard the fact that according to our original idea, that's just supposed to be the beginning for you and me. Oh, don't be so sensitive, Paul. It's very simple. The reason I never discuss what happens after the baby is legally mine is just that there's no need to. After that, everything depends on us. We know where we stand, don't we? Do we? Obviously we do. Well, then, do you mind if we make a few plans of our own? No, of course not. What's on your mind, Paul? What do you want to discuss? Well, before we can 
think in terms of her own life together, there's still the question of Lisa. How that will affect her. If she's counting on oh, me... you do like to make things complicated, don't you? Can't you see that as soon as Lisa signed the baby over to me legally, everything else can be taken care of very easily? Well, I, I'd hardly say easily, Kit. Lisa's a sensitive human being. And it's precisely because Lisa is sensitive that there'll be no problem. She'll undoubtedly recognize as time goes on that your feelings for her not what she... Well, not quite as she had anticipated. After that, you can ease out of the situation very gracefully. Well, it's true she's bound to react when she f feels we're unhappy, as we doubt this would be. Well, of course she will. To tell the truth, Kit, I have a feeling that Lisa may be still in love with Lance. That she has him on her mind lately. Sure you're not grasping at straws, Paul? That would make a handy justification for you, wouldn't it? No, no, really. She hasn't said anything definite, but she's mentioned him several times, and she sounded, well, rather nostalgic. After all, he was her first love. Perhaps you're right. I couldn't say. Though I do know women are apt to cling to the memory of a man who may have given them a bit of a beating emotionally. Uh, that ancient prehistoric urge to be dominated, perhaps, pulled around by the hair, caveman style. You sound, you sound very wise. Have you ever been in that position yourself? <laughs> well, hardly. Speaking of emotional beatings, I've been wondering what you intended doing about Bill when the time comes. He's apt to be rather upset, isn't he? You've been away all this time, and then you suddenly spring this thing on him? Oh, don't worry about Bill. I can handle that all right. You might let me in on how you expect to work it out. I'd be glad to, Paul, but I really can't. It all depends upon what happens when I return to Wakefield. Well, you could at least tell me how long you think it will take you to straighten things out. Oh, I wish you wouldn't hammer at me, Paul. Why can't you be patient? Trust me to do the best I can. Well, I am sorry, Kit. It's, it's just that I can't help but feel uneasy. I have nothing to count on. No, no assurance that... Oh, poor darling, I'm a beast. There. Yeah, does that reassure you? Well, it's a good beginning. Kit? Uh -uh. No, no, Paul, please. Well, thanks for the crumb. <laughs> Comfortable? Wonderfully. This is much more like it, isn't it? Kit? Oh, darling. Do you remember the night in New York when we took the handsome around Central Park? Well, of course, I remember very well. Let it ring. No, I can't. It, it might wake the baby. Pardon me, darling. Hello? Long distance. I have a call for Mrs. Bill Mead. This is Mrs. Mead. I have a call for you from Wakefield. Oh. Just a moment, please. Here's your party. Go ahead, Wakefield. Hello? Hello, kid. Oh, Dad, hello there. How are you? I'm all right. Well, there's been nothing to tell you. Everything's fine. I'm feeling very well. That's good. But uh, when do you go to the hospital? I've been worried. Uh, oh, let's not talk about that, Dad. But, Kit, I'd like... I'll let you know when the time comes. Kit, there's I one... don't want to talk about that. I want to know how things are at home. First rate, Kit. We've done over the south wing at 11th Street for you. Looks very nice. Oh? Did your 
your bride, Superintendent? Yes, Jessie took care of it. I think you'll like what she's done. I imagine I will. Jessie's always had good taste. Uh, what does Bill think of it? Bill? Well, uh, Kit... That's enough, Dad. You've answered me. But you mustn't worry, Kit. It'll come out all right. No, Dad. Give me a straight answer. What did Bill say? Has he... Has he said he won't live there? Well, uh, Bill's a little mixed up at present. But he'll come around after your baggage. Nothing to worry about, Kit. Believe me, nothing at all. Dad, you're stalling. Listen, Kit, I handled Bill before. I can handle him again. Now, don't worry. Don't worry at all. Kit was satisfied. She evaded her father's further questioning about herself. And a few minutes later, they said goodbye, each feeling satisfied with the results of the conversation. A conversation between father and daughter which had been false on both sides. Kit planning to return with Lisa Fenner's child. Ben, knowing very well that Bill Meade did not intend living at 11th Street. Father and daughter, each misleading the other, neither telling the actual truth. story. This evening, sitting in the study of his house on 11th Street in Wakefield, Ben Calvert has just hung up the telephone after talking long distance to his daughter Kit Mead in California. Looking up, Ben sees his wife, the former Jesse Ward, standing in the doorway with a strange, cynical expression on her face. Well, Jesse, how long have you been standing there, listening? Not long enough to hear anything incriminating, Ben. You were talking to Kit, weren't you? Yes, I was. What about it? Oh, nothing at all. I just wondered. When is Kit going to the hospital? She didn't say. I couldn't get anything out of her. But she sounded very fit. Told me not to worry. And I'm not worrying. Did she say she planned to return? That she's coming back to Wakefield? She had no reason to. Of course she's coming back. I told you that a long time ago. Yes, you said it. So did Kit, if you'll remember. She said so very definitely when we saw her that night at the beach. Yes, I know. You're still hoping she won't, aren't you, Jesse? Still hoping to be the queen bee in this household. Well, why wouldn't I? You can hardly expect me to look forward to living in this house with Kit. Naturally, that doesn't appeal to me. However, I'm not too concerned. If Kit does come back, she won't stay very long. Not without Bill. Bill's going to be here. You'll see. This crazy notion of his about a divorce is all nonsense. If it weren't, Kit would have said something when I talked to her. Kit's always so confidential with you, isn't she, Ben? Never mind. When Kit needs me, she knows I'll stand by her. And at the present moment, she's obviously in a very cheerful frame of mind. Which proves that everything is all right. Well, if it makes you happier to deceive yourself. Besides, I have a new angle on this Bill Mead thing now. I saw Mary Lane the other day. Did you? What has Mary Lane to do with it? Nothing except that 
I gathered from what Mary said that her niece, Peggy Douglas, isn't wasting any time worrying about Bill. What do you mean by that? She has some new young fellow on the string. That writer who's been hanging around the last few months. So I've heard about him. Nicholas Dorn is his name. That's right. Well, those two are inseparable. Seem to be together most of the time. Assuming they are. It doesn't necessarily prove anything. Where there's smoke, there's fire, Jesse. And I couldn't have hoped for anything better. She's definitely out of the picture. As far as Bill Mead is concerned. Oh, really, Ben? I've never known a man so capable of self-deception. Or so naively optimistic. What do you mean by that, Jesse? I think you know. However, I'm just going to wait and see what will happen. And I think I know. So do I. Very well. Silly to argue. All we have to do is wait and see. Jessie Calvert spoke calmly, as if she knew more than she'd cared to say. Ben hadn't answered, had turned back to the papers on his desk. Jessie quietly closed the door and went back to her room. But she was thinking... Oh, there's no point in showing Ben how wrong he is about Peggy Douglas and Bill. You'll find out when the time comes. <laughs> that day she came into the coffee shop when I told her about Kit's coming back and that Bill planned to stay on at the auto court alone. Her face went white. That wasn't the face of a girl who was in love with someone else. She was thinking about Bill Mead. Yes, Jessie Calvert was quite certain that Peggy couldn't be in love with the new young man with whom she'd been seen so frequently of late. But you might be a little puzzled, Jessie, if you knew of a conversation taking place at Aunt Mary Lane's farm on Willow Road. Peggy has just come in after an evening spent with Nicholas Dorn. Finding the living room empty and her Aunt Mary's room dark... Peggy has gone out the front door toward a welcome beam of light shining from the window of the little house near the road. The house occupied by Lefty Larkin, Aunt Mary's friend and helper. Lefty, it's Peggy. May I come in? Peggy? Say, this is a nice surprise. Hello, Lefty. I got home a few minutes ago and saw your light on, so I thought I'd come down for a while. Gosh, I'm glad you did. Haven't had a good chance to talk to you for quite a while, Peggy. I know. That's why I wanted to see you. Well, come in, come in. <laughs> That's a fine thing. I keep you standing on the doorstep while I tell you how glad I am to see you. My bed's all right, Lefty. Here. Here, now, sit down over here, Peggy. That's the most comfortable chair. You mustn't fuss over me, Lefty. You'll make me feel like company. Well, you are company. The nicest company I've had in a long time. For heaven's sake. Wherever did you dig up that old picture of me, the one over the couch? Oh, haven't you seen that before? I was rooting around on that shelf on the top of the closet there looking for my fishing tackle, and I found this old box full of pictures. Mm. <laughs> it's quite a collection, too. You and Randy when you were kids. Aunt Mary and those funny hats they used to wear. I certainly was a funny little kid. Look at that hair ribbon. Funny? You were very cute. You're just prejudiced. You're just modest. <laughs> well, 
all those pictures, Lefty. I'd like to see them. Okay, I've got them right here. And, uh, where'd they put them? Lefty, I'm afraid you're a better farmer than you are a housekeeper. Oh, I don't know about that. What's wrong with this place, I'd like to know? Mm, nothing. Except your hat's on the bed and your shoes are on the table. Oh, I, I put them down there when you knocked. I, I was just going to shine them. Oh, it's all right, Lefty. I know how neat you are. In your masculine way. I was only teasing. Well, let me see. They're not on the table and they're not on that dresser. I remember. I slipped them inside the seed catalog to keep them flat. <laughs> Here they are. Lefty, you're wonderful. Oh, let me see. Why, there's Aunt Mary with Uncle Randy. Uh huh. My, he was such a nice looking man. Oh, and there's Randy when he was a baby. Randy was a tough-looking little mug. Well, he wasn't a sissy. I'll say he wasn't. I'll never forget the day he cleaned up on that Swanson boy. One of the twins it was. Did he give that kid a shiner? Oh, Lefty, you ought to be ashamed. You're as bad as a kid yourself. Oh, I look, Lefty. Here's a picture of David Bowman when he was just a young man. Dave? What's he doing in there? Must have been a terribly long time ago. Look how young he looks. Dave was born old. Don't try to kid me. I like David. He always had the feeling he understands things. Mm-hmm. But he gets some awful batty ideas sometimes. Why, Lefty, you and Dave are good friends. How can you say that? Oh, well. Skip it. It's nice to see all those old snapshots, but I don't know, in a way it makes me feel sort of sad. Everyone gets old and... <laughs> Listen to her. Why, Peggy, you're just starting out in life. The best part of it all lies ahead of you. I suppose so. Sometimes it scares me. There are so many things to decide. Well, Peggy, I... I'm just a dumb man, not awfully smart, but... If there's ever anything I can do to help you... If you want to talk things over... You know, I'll... I'll do my very best not to give you a wrong steer. I know, Lefty. That's the real reason I came down to see you tonight. There is something I'd like to talk over with you. I had a notion you didn't come down just to look at old snapshots. Tell me about it, honey. What's worrying you? Well, it's not that I'm worried exactly. Well, what is it, then? Lefty, you know how depressed I was a while back. Everything went wrong. There just didn't seem to be any point to things. I sure do know. It made me feel pretty low, too. I hated to see you unhappy. I'd get to feeling better, start forgetting all the things that had happened, and and then something would bring it all back. I'd have to go through it all over again. But lately, I, I've been feeling a lot happier. Things began to mean something again. Yes, I noticed you seem more cheerful these last few months. <laughs> I have been, Lefty. Ever since Nicholas Dorn came here. That's what I want to talk to you about. Lefty Larkin looked at the girl he knew to be his own daughter. Peggy looked so pretty, sitting opposite him with that earnest, thoughtful expression on her face. As she spoke the last words, Lefty's heart gave a great thump. What was Peggy going to tell him about Nicholas Dorn? Lefty waited anxiously for Peggy's next words. 